welcome in. Hey, it's Downtown the Podcast. Was that what you were looking for? Good. Good, you found it. Well played. Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. It's where our daily show, Downtown, originates uh, every weekday afternoon, 4 to 6 Eastern Time. On the Zone Radio stations of Maine, of course, streaming audio available at our website, downtownwithrichkimball.com. We are proud to be brought to you every single week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A couple of good conversations for you this time around on the show. One from a very frequent guest of both our radio show and podcast, and uh, one from a first-timer whose work we've enjoyed for a long time. Coming up in the second half of the program this week, legendary guitarist G.E. Smith. He's got a brand new album out with uh, R&B and soul great Leroy Bell. The album is so good. It's called Stony Hill. We'll talk with GE about the making of the album. But to kick things off, uh, Carrie, without a doubt, one of her favorites. We do a little uh, little promotion every year called Downtown Madness tied into the basketball tournament where we have uh, listeners and fans of the show from uh, really all over the world. Uh, cast their vote on their favorite guest of the year. And Stephen Tobolowsky has won that two of the last three years. Yeah, and he's always a joy to talk to. It's no wonder that the listeners have voted him so high so often because every conversation with him is just leads to so many different places. And and we have some guests that will reach out when they have something to promote. Uh, With Stephen, we reach out when... I don't know. We just need to hear his voice and and, and get uplifted by him because he, he's such a, a great conversationalist and a wonderful person. And so uh, here's our conversation with actor and author and podcast host, Stephen Tobolowsky. Hello, Rich. How's everything going? Uh, but yes, as good as can be expected, I would say. How about you? <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you, you know, the latest on one day at a time. Not not to hex anything, you know. We occasionally get overlooked by any voters. That's true, but uh, it still may not be dead. That's the exciting. Coronavirus may not have put us under. It's still possible, and uh, so I have my fingers crossed. And everyone who likes the show should have their fingers crossed, and hopefully, we'll know something in a well. Who knows? <laughs> but soon. Sooner than later. Well, good. Well, we, we certainly have fingers and toes crossed for that because it's it's a wonderful series, and we want to see it keep going for, for as long as everybody involved wants to do it. That's right. That's right. They're just trying to figure out methods of safety and what's going to happen because this, this is one of those game-changing situations that nothing is probably going to look the same at the other end of this juncture of our moment in history. No, and we hear a lot of talk about uh, people being bailed out by the government and small businesses and and not enough attention being paid to the arts community and um, not only arts organizations, but individuals who uh, rely on that for their living. And I know insurance is becoming an issue uh, for people uh, with SAG-AFTRA and getting work is difficult and you want to go back to work, but people need to be safe and feel like it's an environment they can step back into. Yeah, I just last week, you know, because there is no work. There is no work out here. I think they're starting up a few projects. Maybe they're shooting in Atlanta. A couple things are starting up in Los Angeles, but very carefully monitored. I did get 
my first film offer last week, and I was thrilled, uh, you, you know, to get the idea that someone was going to shoot. However, and they said they were they were only going to shoot me for one day, so so that made it very nice. And but to do this part, as I read the script, I would have to play a sleazy guy. I've done that before, but in this role. I have a tarantula at one point on my head uh. and another point a tarantula crawling up my face. And I'm thinking, you know, there's no amount of money. There's no <laughs> amount of money right now. Because, that that, you know, if there is a tarantula, there's going to be a tarantula handler that you can bet will not be social distancing for me. Or I won't be social distancing from him. <laughs> Oh, gosh. You know, you would think that with difficulty in show business, you would pull out something that you were sure people would come to see at the movie theaters as a, or, or on cable or whatever, as opposed to the tarantula on Stephen's head. But that's what I got off. So <laughs> we had to pass that one by, and we're waiting for the next. Uh, well, I, I hope it's free of arachnids. I did enjoy watching you and Anne last week, and uh, Anne's been very busy, and uh, you as well, in the uh, 11th Annual Summer Playwrights Festival that the Road Theater Company is doing virtually this year, and a very funny show you did called The Wide Yawning Infinity. That's right, and, and we had, believe it or not, so this is the 11th year the Road Theater has done this, and uh, for people who don't know what the Road Theater is in Los Angeles, it's a theater that for, I believe, 29 years has been dedicated to doing the work of new playwrights, uh, 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 plays that have world premiere plays. And, and the second tier are plays that uh, have not been on Broadway, anything like that, but have never been done, at least in our part of the world. So, so we do a lot of premieres. So for 11 years now, out of the 39, there's been the New Playwrights Festival of, of absolute premiere plays. This year we had to do it virtually uh, on Zoom, which is torture. I mean, for me as an actor on Zoom, it's, and, and I'm directing one of them too, but the difference between watching a play on Zoom and a, a department store security camera is very small. <laughs> it, it, it is just very difficult to, to do this. However, for example, last night there was really quite a brilliant play and that, that we watched. This festival, so far, has been the most successful in the last 11 years. Wow. To such an extent that they got a letter from all the playwrights that the playwrights have to agree that they can continue running the festival, these plays are going to be streamed for a week now. It, it, it isn't just one shot anymore. They're going to extend the festival, and everybody will have a chance to dip in and see some of these plays. So everybody can see Wide Yawning Infinity and uh, amazing play. I saw Agatha, absolutely amazing play uh, by Angela Davis. It, it is about the uh, only, I think it is the only woman president of, uh, was, was, was the Civil War in Rwanda? Is that where the terrible genocides were? Yes. She was president of Rwanda 
for 14 hours. Wow. And I never heard of this woman before in my life. And this play chronicles the story of her life. And it is amazing uh, the 14 hours she was president and what she did to try to save the country in those 14 hours. She was a university teacher who they, they just put in the slot as vice president. And that whole genocide began with the president being shot out of the sky. And so suddenly she gets the phone call, you're president. And in her 14 hours, she did so much to try to unify the country and in the Civil War. It's a beautiful plot. Just really murdered me even on Zoom. So uh, I highly recommend it. And what I'll do, uh, Rich, is I'll send you the particulars uh, of when the uh, festival is, is going to happen so you'll know, and then I'm going to post it on Facebook. Excellent. So people can watch it in the spring. It's free. No salesman will call. They'll ask for a donation, but it's free. And uh, you can get more information, too, uh, right away at roadtheater.org. Uh, also, I'm uh, speaking of one day at a time, the cast got to participate virtually in this year's Paley Fest. What was that experience like? That was that was phenomenal. That was that was a wonderful experience, and uh, it was. You know, we we did it a while back, and and we did it on Zoom. And for all of us doing the part, and I, and I thought it was really. Great questions, and the, the I guess the chemistry of the cast, it, it was wonderful to be with the writers and producers again. It was, I believe it was the day uh, Carl Reiner passed away, mm. and so Norman could not be there. Uh, that was the one dark spot of it, but it's absolutely wonderful to be able to catch the Paley set. That was really terrific. And Norman Lear celebrated a birthday as well, number 98, and uh, remarkable to have him around, but he's very much still hands-on part of that production. Yeah, very much so, and he gives us notes. Did I ever tell you my old Norman Lear story? I'm not sure if I have on this show. Well, if you haven't, even if you have, we need to hear it again. The the, uh, growing up in Oak Cliff, Oak Cliff was a very, very racist place to grow up, you know? And I was very lucky in that my parents were not at all. So our family did not grow up with that in in our hearts and souls. But watching Norman Lear on TV in Eau Claire, all those shows, all in the family, the Jeffersons, Maud, one day at a time, it really did kind of change my life. And when I came out to Los Angeles, the, the first thing I did was to write to Norman Lear's casting director, Jane Murray, and just said, I have always admired Mr. Lear. I'm a young actor from Texas, and if there's any chance to audition for anything, I'll be damned rich. She she called me that week, and we didn't have cell phones then. I gave her my home number. She, Jane Murray called me at home and said, are you available for something this week? Wow. And I said, yes, ma'am. And my first job in Los Angeles was to play one of Loretta's uh, fans on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was my first job in Los Angeles. And the first television show I saw in Los Angeles was a 
production was one day at a time, the original one day at a time, because a woman from our hometown, Kay Callen, had a recurring role, and Kay invited me to the show, and I met Norman way back when, when I had hair. <laughs> and, and that was the first TV show I saw. So when I came in for my audition, for one day at a time, I reminded Norman of when I met him 30 years before. And uh, so it is a wonderful through line to have Norman as still part of my life. I love it. That's tremendous. We're talking with Stephen Tobolowsky. What's the latest on the Tobolowsky files? It sounds like you have, uh, what, five of them that David has put together so far? Well, that number has increased to eight. Oh, good. I'm writing 14, and uh, there's probably going to be at least another two more. And David says he's going to start releasing them on the Internet in the middle of September. And uh, these are... I, I love some of these stories. Uh, I don't know why I never told them before, but I didn't. And so if people don't know what I do in the Tobolowsky files, just in 2008 is when I broke my neck, right, and uh, riding on the horse on the side of an active volcano in Iceland. So I couldn't do anything, and I almost died. And so I thought, well, I'll start writing true stories from my life as a legacy for my two boys so they'll know something about their father. And about that time, a student from Harvard, David Chen, called me at home and said, I really love your storytelling. Can we do a podcast? I had no idea what a podcast was then. Can we do a podcast of your story? And I said, well, actually, I started writing these stories already. So we started recording them over the internet, he was in Boston at Harvard, and I was here. We started recording, they went online, and they were basically showbiz-related and movie-related. But the fourth story happened when I got a phone call. My mother had a heart attack, and I went back to Dallas to be with her. And it was about the last day my mother was alive. And... I called David up on the phone, and I said, well, I've written this story, but it's got nothing to do with showbiz, and it's got nothing to do with anything, but it's just the last day I spent with my mother. And David said, whatever you write, Bobo, we're going to put it on. So I put that fourth story on, and that story went all over the world. Mm. And then the podcast started getting picked up by NPR and PRI radio stations all over the country. And that's what led to the two books. So now we have, I think, 84 hours of these true stories from my life, and I try to have no embellishment in them. There's the story of my broken neck in Iceland and being held hostage at gunpoint in a grocery store in Dallas, and my falling in love for the first time in college, and my marriage with Anne and our hunting, all sorts of stories. Usually they're funny. Usually they're funny. And so these stories are, again, fairly remarkable events that happened in my life. And the thing I found that happened, which when you tell a true story and not an embroidered story, is that when you tell a true story, people hear it in the story that it's true. Even if it's incredible, they hear it and their ear goes, it's true, and they relate it to their life. 
And the number of emails I have gotten about people saying, you know, that happened to me. The same thing happened to me. And then they tell me what happened to them, and it's not the same at all. But they identified with the truth of the story. So that's what I do. That's the Topo Files, and that's going to start coming out. Right now, you can get all of those old episodes, the 84 hours of them, uh, at, uh, at uh, I think it's uh, TobolowskiFiles.com, spell my name correctly, uh, T-O-B-O-L-O-W-S-K-Y, TobolowskiFiles.com, and all of the old episodes are there for free. Again, for free. Well, and no two, commerce here. Two of us here who have listened to all 84 hours and love them. And uh, Carrie has nowhere to drive. Normally, the Tobolowski <laughs> Files is his accompaniment for his drive down to New Orleans and back. But even now, he misses them because he's reduced to talking to his family at night. <laughs> oh, God, that's so sad, Carrie. Well, well, well this, it, it's interesting. My, as I said, I began this as a legacy for my children. And they never listened to it. Oh. And now, now... Uh, I don't know if we've discussed this. Do you know that now I'm a grandfather? I don't believe I did know that. No, that is very exciting. Very exciting. One month into grandfatherdom, and now I get it. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to ask me a few years ago, oh, God, you want to be a grandfather? No, it wouldn't be on my radar. Now it is the most glorious and wonderful position to have in life. Because you realize all the difficulty it took to get here. You had to be able to have a relationship in which you could have children and have those children grow up to be in a frame of mind where they wanted children. And so in the last month, my son and his wife began listening to the Tobolowski files for the first time. And <laughs> because he wanted his wife to know something about me uh, so they could trust me with the baby. (laughs) (laughs) It has turned out to be a blessing that way too. And uh, yes, this is the one thing about grandfather de Marseille. And that is, it is all love and no responsibility. And I did never really got that before because you're able to, hold that baby and take care of that baby and everything. But as soon as that baby starts to cry, you pass them back to mom and dad. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm not going to get that. See, I didn't have my, my son until I was 55. And so if I, if I become a grandfather, it's well, two, two, it can go two ways. Either it's because he is far too precocious for his own good, <laughs> or it'll happen, but I'll have no idea what's going on. Well, yeah, you know, they asked me to be Jacques or Jacques in uh, As You Like It. And the seven ages of my, seven ages of man, Rich. <laughs> oh, yeah. We all end up in the slippered pantaloon with our shrunk shank, sans eyes, sans, <laughs> sans uh, eyes, sans ears, sans mouth, sans everything. And that's where we end up. Uh, we just have to hope we have loved ones around us to help us. Oh, oh, if there's one moment, if, if there's one moment, I did have a remarkable event happen. Oh, please. With my, with 
my father. Oh, yeah. Tell us, please. Dad is 97, and Dad is of the age where he sons everything. Can't remember anything at all. Uh, has, and he's blind, and he can't walk. And I try to call him two, three, four times a week in Texas because I can't visit him because of COVID. So I called uh, probably now with COVID brain. It's, I'm saying probably about four weeks ago. I called Dad and told him how excited I was about the baby and how hard it is that Robert has a place of his own now. My son is not there. And Dad suddenly opened up, and he began talking about his past. And he started saying, oh, Stephen, the hardest thing for your mother and I was when all the kids moved out of the house. And you know what it was we missed the most? was the laughter. Hmm. He said, Stephen, there's very little laughter in home. But when you have children, your house is filled with laughter. And we, your mother and I, didn't recognize that until all of you had moved out. And it was something that we had to deal with the rest of our lives, the difficulty. Hmm. Spend as much time as you can with the baby, and you will have laughter in your life. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what a gift was that? That is absolutely oh. wonderful. I, I noticed, too, you've been enjoying quite a bounty uh, this summer uh, right from the garden. My goodness, you have oh. been eating well during these COVID times. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, I'm, I may be on the brink of some sort of dietary bonanza <laughs> in that Anne, who's always been a good cook, my wife, Every day she makes homemade cinnamon rolls or cheesecake or muffins or some kind of custard or something. My diet is either vegetables from the garden. We have string beans. We have celery. We have uh, tomatoes like crazy. So we have salads from the garden and piles of dessert. And I've lost about almost 20 pounds. Wow. And, and or hopefully I'm not dying. You know, I guess during this period of time, maybe I'm dying. But I'm feeling too good and enjoying those muffins way too much. So Anne is making bounty out of eggplant and all sorts of things you could imagine. We cut way back on any kind of meat. We occasionally will have fish as protein uh, or a little chicken. But, but we cut way back on protein and I'm feeling great, losing weight, and now in the COVID time, besides having the COVID brain and making everything so much more difficult, now I only have two pair of pants I can wear. <laughs> the, the other pants are too big, and they just fall off of me. So I, am, I end up wearing the same clothes every day, which, which, which makes the present lockdown oh so much more depressing. Except as we speak, as we are speaking now, the house is filled with the scent of fresh cinnamon buns oh. coming out of the oven. And let me tell you, man, <laughs> yummy, yummy, yummy. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, that's great to hear. It's uh, great to hear your voice and talk with you again. Uh, send our best to Anne as well. Uh, we wish you well. Uh, congratulations on becoming a grandfather. Keep the tarantulas off your face. and. <laughs> I will. 
and 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 you two guys, you 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 keep safe and keep well. You you hearten us all the way here on the other coast. Thank you, Stephen. Be well, and we'll talk with you again soon. Okay, Rich. Talk to you later. Stephen Tobolowski with us here on downtown, and cannot wait for more of those episodes of the Tobolowski Files. It's the only other podcast we endorse. Absolutely, yes. And uh, I've listened to all the episodes so far. Me so too. I'm, I'm probably going to go back and listen to like the last five or six just to warm up for the new series coming yeah, out. That is a great idea. Check it out yourself if you haven't already. All right, we'll take a break for a word from our friends at Cross Insurance. When we come back, guitarist G.E. Smith talks about his brand new album, Stony Hill. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. your principles You might quote the scriptures with selected individuals That's a little taste of the brand new album Stony Hill A wonderful matchup of vocalist Leroy Bell and guitarist G.E. Smith We had a chance to catch up with G.E. recently to talk about the making of the album I saw a comment you made that you, you've been waiting for a voice like a Leroy Bell for a long time? A long, long time. Uh, you know, usually people that are as good a singer as him are taken <laughs> instantly. They never get out of their hometown and somebody snatches them up. Uh, fortunately, Leroy was around and I got him. Singers and drummers are the hardest things to find. So what was the process like of, of you two working together to create the music on this new album? Well, Leroy lives in Seattle. I live on Long Island in New York, you know, way out at the end, 100 miles straight out in the ocean. And uh, actually, my wife, Taylor Barton, found, was listening to his music. And she said, listen to this guy. This is the guy you're looking for. So we invited him to come here in January of 2019. He came, and we just hit it off. You know, sometimes just get along with people. We hit it off real good. He played me the song America, which he had just written which was our, our first single, and uh, I just really liked it. And we went right in the studio, January 2019, and started recording, and by the fall we had it finished, and now it's, it's coming out. It's a pretty bold statement, so there's no beating around the bush <laughs> about how you guys feel on this new album. No, 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 not at all. You know, uh, we, uh, you know, Leroy writes songs, that, that a lot of them really have a message, but it's subtle. He's not beating you over the head with it, you know? And, and propelled by a fantastic groove as well. The first single you mentioned, America, uh, so powerful. Everything just great about that. I love the line, are we living or being driven like sheep to slaughter? Like sheep to slaughter, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, like I say, he's 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 a good songwriter, and and for me as a guitar player, you know, I've always been a side man. That's what I always wanted to be. I wanted to back up good song songwriters, good singers, and fortunately, I've gotten to do it a lot. So when I run into somebody that has good songs and can sing like Leroy can, I'm in heaven. We're talking with G.E. Smith here on Danta, and the new single I just released is called "Let the Sunshine In." And it's a, well, it's a nice counterpoint to America. It's really a, a call for unity and, and finding that common purpose that somehow has been hidden in everything that's going on. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think what gets to both me and, and Leroy is that, that here in our country, people are getting so mad at each other. You know, freedom goes both ways. You're allowed to believe one thing or you're allowed to believe the other thing. It's freedom, Right. And I think that Let the Sunshine In, he's kind of talking about that. Just, hey, relax. We're all Americans. Let's have a good time. Now, his vocal is so great on that. I listen to it, and I, I hear I hear Marvin Gaye. What's going on? It's fantastic. Uh, the, the guitar work is sensational. And when that organ kicks in, man, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's really something. And then you guys do a tremendous cover uh, of Black is the Color, adding a, well, a whole new level of funk to that classic. Yeah, uh, I've always loved that song. The the great version that most people know, Nina Simone did back mm. in the 60s. And it's always been done slow and kind of beautiful, you know? But to me, you know, I like to rock things up so that I could play them in bars. You know, I'm just an old bar band guitar player. And uh, so I arranged it like that. And I've always done that song myself in that rocking kind of way. And then to have Leroy sing it, it just brings it to a whole new, better place. The album is called Stony Hill, and the kind of a dual meaning to that title, I understand. Yeah, definitely. Uh, where where me and my family live is actually on a place called Stony Hill. But also, uh, Leroy thought that it was nice because it gave the image of, of like pushing a rock up a hill. You know? <laughs> I like this for everybody. Especially these days with the virus and everything, you know, we're all just pushing, trying to get through. Uh, you said you know, you're just a, a bar band guitarist, but uh, you came to national prominence with, uh, but obviously Saturday Night Live, the work with Daryl Hall and, and John Oates. Did that that level of celebrity come as a surprise to you, and, and did it throw you a bit at the time? Uh, it definitely came as a surprise to me. You know, I'm from a town called Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, just as little especially back when I grew up, it's just this little country town, you know? And uh, for me to get so lucky and get to play with, with like, Daryl and John, play on Saturday Night Live, I got to play with Mick Jagger, David Bowie, got to tour with Bob Dylan for four years, Roger Waters. Uh, it's like a dream, you know? I can't believe it. Are, are the best musicians out there your fellow sidemen, or are they the guys? Because you've got to be able, as a sideman, to play everything. It doesn't matter what genre. Exactly. Um, when I was on Saturday Night Live, I had to paint a sign that we hung on the stage that said, all kinds of music played here. You know, and we did, in the 10 years I was at Saturday Night Live, we played everything except opera, I think. We never got around to playing any opera music, but we did everything else from classical to funk, rock and roll, blues, of course, we played a lot of blues and we backed up all different kinds of people that were guests on the show. 
Now, GE, it seems like you've played with everybody through the years, but but is there anybody out there you haven't had the opportunity to play with that, that's still on your list? Well, uh, I always thought that I'd be great in a band with Neil Young. Now, I did get to play with Neil at various times, especially when I was working with Bob Dylan on different things, but not for an extended period of time. I always thought I'd, I'd be real well playing. I'm wondering about technology. The changes in in technology uh, overall, big picture, have they been uh, have they been good or bad for the music business? Well, you know, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> uh, it it certainly changed the record business, you know. And I think that for the younger people, people that were born digital. They don't know anything else, so that's the record business that they know. I come from the old days of, you know, LPs, and you, you held that thing in your hand. Right. While you were listening to it, you looked at the cover, and you read the liner notes and stuff. Now people just listen to one song. It's digital. You download it. You stream it or whatever you do. But it has given the opportunity for a lot more people to very easily put their music out there. Now, it's hard to get it into people's ears. It's, it's hard. You've got to, like, work on that, you know, on your uh, digital profile, as they say, to get, get people aware of your music. But it's easy now to record. You know, you can mm. record with a laptop and a couple of good microphones. You can make a great sound and record. Yeah, in the old days, it was uh, the record companies and the, the publishers that would they would steal and force artists to have to play live to make a living. These days, it's the streaming services that do that. It's the streaming, but, you know, playing live is still a big deal. If you're a real band like we are on Stony Hill, yeah, we have a real band. It's not just a studio project. But then right when we were going to start playing in March, we were supposed to go to South by Southwest down in Texas, uh, introduce the album, play three live dates while we were there. The virus hit, and boom. You know, so now, as you know, the live music business is in a coma. We're trying to figure out how to revive it a little. Yeah, we're all looking forward to that day. Uh, in the meantime, we'll enjoy the great music that you and Leroy Bell have put together on this phenomenal new album. It's called Stony Hill, officially released later on this month, but a couple singles uh, already out there, uh, America and Let the Sunshine In. GE, have enjoyed your work for a long, long time. Thanks so much for taking the time for us today. Thank you, Richard. It, it, it's a pleasure. I've always enjoyed being in Maine. Well, thank you. Hope to see you here again sometime soon. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. That's G.E. Smith, a new album called Stony Hill, along with uh, Leroy Bell. It is some great music. We had a blast talking with G.E. all about it. Our thanks to him. Thanks to our friend Stephen Tobolowsky. And thanks to you for joining us on this week's Downtown, the podcast brought to you every single week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll catch you next time right here on Downtown.